Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Your host today is Laverne Cox, and every week a friend will join me on this journey to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, or Parsha. It is a weekly reading um, study according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle, and every week we will have an in-depth Bible study filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten pathway that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will share our opinions, our review of our studies from this week's Torah, which is also known as the Pentateuch of the first five books of the Bible, as well as our study of the Half Torah and the Brit Hadashah or the New Testament or Renewed Covenant readings. Why are we doing this? Why return to a forgotten path? Return which in Hebrew means shavu, is um, an, a call or a beckoning um, to the forgotten path, which is also known as the, the way or the old path. Jeremiah 6.16 puts it this way. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 5, It is also spoken of in this way. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is obviously referencing the Messianic era, but there are additional references to this continuously throughout the scriptures. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 7, it says, remember the days of old and consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee by elders and they will tell thee. Um, Jeremiah 7 verse 23 puts it as well like says, but this thing commanded I them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well unto you. And again, Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 says, and thy ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way walk ye in it and when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left isn't that awesome you know the lord himself his voice his spirit his shekinah his glory is calling us to return to this pathway in this week and the week following i will be doing the torah study independently So I pray that you have prepared yourself for study and that you have opened up the scriptures and have welcomed the Holy Spirit to come along with us on this journey. During our conversation, I will share some aspects of my own study and some tips and and I would say resources for our collective growth. Um, No man truly is an island and no one has the total gift of the Holy Spirit outpour to them. And so 
as a collective, we can grow by way of the direction of the Ruach HaKodesh to the resources that will help us to answer some of the questions. Some of them that we either pondered and um, were not fully satisfied in our own understanding. And so during this following to Torah Parsha, I will be reviewing some resources to help in our growth and our understanding uh, in our walk with Hashem and as well as on our, our study of his word. I do pray that this is a blessing to you and to the body of Messiah. In Yeshua's name. The blessing before the Torah reading. This week, since I will be alone in this Torah reading, I will be completing the Torah reading customary for personal study. The blessing before the Torah reading. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidishanu b'mitzvotav b'mitzvotanu la'asuk b'devri Torah. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with thy commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. And Vayera begins with chapter 6. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Adonai, Yudhevav, the Tetragrammaton, I made me not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings, wherein they sojourned. And moreover, I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say that unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land concerning which I lifted up my hand to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel but they hearkened not unto Moses for the impatience of spirit and for cruel bondage. So when I read the um, Torah portion, that beginning intro to the Torah portion, the thing that stuck out to me was the, the words that said um, in verse 9 that the children of Israel would not believe the words of Moshe due to the brokenness of spirit and due to their harsh slavery. And I likened it to exactly where we are in this time. And I said on a Facebook post that we should not allow the, the, the brokenness of our spirit um, to rob us of our true destiny, our true north, where we are truly all heading in the body of Messiah. 
just because of the harshness of the bondage or the um, the hope that seems uh, far away. The, the truth of the matter is God is the same. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he has already commanded his angels not only charge over you to keep you in all your ways, but truthfully, even more so to that, he has promised redemption to you. And that promised redemption comes with a a lean, let's put it like that, a lean against the world regarding the care and the t- the the uh, their ability to harm or touch you. There's a, a a sign where he writes his name upon you and he s- s- uh, literally separates you. And in the review of the last two weeks, I've been reviewing um, prior studies on this Torah portion. And I've got to say that I found one that really touched my heart. And it was from El Shaddai Ministries. It was a review of that intro into Vayera's Torah portion. And the, the words, again, that was spoken by Moshe, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from, the, under, the, from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So there's some, there's a lot of meat inside what was just said there, but I'm going to share what El Shaddai Ministries gave. And I thought it was very helpful because in, in our reading, sometimes we don't recognize um, exactly how this is a picture and a pattern for us to understand how we continue to grow in the, the word of the Lord and to continue uncovering some of that. There was a... Uh, uh, a teaching that was shared by Pastor Mark Biltz, and it was the teaching regarding the four cups of Passover um, being likened to also the process of salvation. And the, the, the way that the, the teaching went is that what is being promised here in Vayera in the beginning is actually the four steps to salvation. Salvation is a progressive act. And in the four steps, the first step being sanctification, which is the separation. And it starts by stating, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. It is like literally just like we spoke about last week in regards to Moshe being drawn out. And that's the name that he was given. We are also seeing how God is now calling out to the children of Israel. And this is the same thing he does in the process of salvation, the pattern remains the same. He first says who he is. He identifies himself to us and he says, I will call you out. I will separate you. And the separation is called sanctification. We haven't earned it. We could not do anything to um, promote or to uh, beg for this. This is truly the gift of God. So in this process of sanctification, um, or the process of salvation rather, the first step being sanctification is the separation. And I, I honestly believe 
in many of our teaching, we don't remember to explain to new people coming into the faith, coming in and growing, that the walk of salvation is progressive and that you don't just arrive upon uh, entering the doors. You don't arrive upon seeing who God is. The process grows from level to level. And so the second step is deliverance. The word that the Lord gave to Moshe was, I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will deliver you from slavery to them. In other words, the way that this is likened to is if we come out of or called out of the world, we have to remember, according to the teachings that we have in the the New Testament or the Brit Hadashah, that it says that we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not so that we can maintain this divided self, this the old mind and, and the old way, but that we would become new creatures and that we would walk in the new creation to which he's um, been he's availed to us. And this process of de- deliverance is likened to the Lord removing the ankle chains from our ourselves, removing bondage in the way of and the weightiness of what we served under. And the the beauty of it is that you're truly not completely the new creation until you've gotten to the next step. That's when you you that next step is I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So one may ask, okay, God desires to deliver us. He's removed the ankles. Why not the redemption automatically? So so too is this likened to the parsha and the, the journey that we see of the children of Israel and in their preparation to leave and to depart from um, the bondage of Egypt, which in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, and the meaning there is bondage, in their preparation to leave bondage, God starts to instruct them in the way that they ought to go. And this act of this is how you ought to prepare is called redemption. The the way that he prepares them and he gives them new teachings, new things for them to live by, the way that they ought to, and instructions in regards to how to, um, as one person says, not miss the target, but hit the target consistently. These instructions of the Torah is redemption. These the, the deliverance, these instructions that are coming to him. And the, the redemption or the act of the of redemption is liking to the total price. Our price of redemption could not be paid by anyone else. Um, it is also saying that redemption is an act of mercy and it's an act of great um, uh, care. And, and there, since there's great price in it, it would not behoove the Lord to pour out redemption on people that have not been prepared for that act of kindness. Does that make sense to you guys? I hope it does. Stay Stick with me if it doesn't. Um, and ask some follow-up questions so I can give some um, backup material regarding it. Romans 6.16 and um, basically likens the cup of redemption to the, the third cup that comes during the Passover Seder after supper. 
imagine that you have been brought out, the, chank, the ankles of bondage have been removed from you, but that third cup is the, the, the third cup after supper, after you've eaten it and you've grown. Remember in Deuteronomy, uh, Moshe says to the children of Israel, um, basically, as you go into the land, and this land is filled with milk and honey, and you've planted your vineyards and you are, you know, you've grown fat, do not forget the Lord. So this third cup is the the cup of redemption, the the price and the weightiness of the gift and the um, the weightiness I would say is without price. In other words, no one else could uh, bear or pay this gift, but the Lord brings you out and pays the gift, the, the total price of redemption for you, and He doesn't do it haphazardly. He does it in a very procedural way. It is growing from level to level with you as you are understanding who he has created and he is uh, grow- cultivating you into a new being, a new creature. He is bringing you back to what he had created in Ghana Eden, which is uh, the total man, the one that walks in connection with Hashem, that understands his will and understands his ways, and it's not foreign. So the fourth step is the fourth step of uh, uh, salvation, and it's called acceptance. And acceptance is symbolic of the words that are stated last. The In Deuteronomy, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 6, um, verses, I believe, 7, it reads, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to J- and to Jacob, and I will give you for possession. I am the Lord. So here's the thing. In the Seder, this fourth cup is the, the cup of acceptance. But there is truthfully a fifth cup during the Passover Seder, and it's generally called the Elijah cup. This Elijah cup is likened to the promise of that was given here at the last. I will give it to you. I will give you the land for possession. This cup is the restoration of all things or the restoration to all things. So in the children of Israel, the restoration of all things is the fact that the committed promise that he was given to Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, that he will make their sojourning into the homeland of his people is the act of giving them the possession of the land. And that land of promise is the fulfillment of the entire salvation process. You know, when we are sitting at the table um, during the Passover Seder, from year to year we grow and we don't even recognize the growth. And sometimes we need to stop and allow the Holy Spirit some room for us to acknowledge where we have come from. And so in this process of salvation, every single journey has been for us to elevate ourselves and come back to what was initially inherently ours or initially promised to us, but was denied by the, the bondage that we had experienced. For the children of Israel, it was during the land and their time, of course, in Egypt. But this has come up 
multiple times in the the journey, the the history of the children of Israel and of course Jews to the present day. This same pattern. And the reason is that even though in this day and age Jews now inherit inherently are in their land, the total redemption is to dwell there in peace. The total redemption is to dwell in it with the Lord. The total redemption is for him to be amongst them, just like that picture of their journey out from the land of Egypt was sharing. It was progressive. It is progressive. And so I would love for you guys, as we continue our study, to remember these four steps of salvation and to honor the fact that as you may be listening or sharing this with me, at some point in your journey, you may be in, in the process of deliverance and there may be some things uh, or ideas or beliefs that are being shed from you and being removed from you. And the true light of the word of God is being replaced and restoration is happening on the inside of you. And it is a process by which there is a gravity of not only importance of the the steps and and what is transpiring, but it is transformational, not only to you, but also to your surroundings and to your family and to the legacy of the generation that you are in and the one that is to come after you. And so honor the fact that we have not arrived. None of us have. And we will only arrive when the entire uh, plan of salvation is fulfilled, when we have been completely redeemed and our bodies restored and our, our, not only our soul alone, but also we've been accepted into the family of God and we are brought into the land by which he's promised to us, the land of promise. That is the true salvation. So as we continue to study in Vallera, there was some other points that I think were very insightful and I think would be um, very helpful for our collective growth. So let's talk about Paro or Faro. Um, I love learning how to pronounce <laughs> new Hebrew words. So we learn that as uh, Moshe and Aaron get the word from the Lord, that they are to fulfill exactly what the Lord has spoken to them. So after he has assured the children of Israel that this is the this is who has sent him, the excuse me, the I am has sent him. He is then supposed to go to Paro, Pharaoh. And it we continue with saying in verse eleven, go in Speak unto Pharaoh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he be let, that he let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. And how then shall Pharaoh hear me? Who am I of uncircumcised lips? And this is a very interesting point to be made. And I want to share with you um, a new resource that I am using. I have for years had on my shelf the Essential Torah. Um, it's a complete guide to the five books of Moses. And I feel like this particular week uh, and for the next two weeks, the Lord has shared 
that I should share a few words out of this particular book. So what was interesting about this is according to um, Jewish scholars and rabbis, the midrash of the uncircumcised lips of Moshe is due to what they have called the the blockage of or a physical alteration that had been taken on Moshe. So they likened it to the book of Jeremiah or Jeremiah, where he is um, given coals. And I believe that's the correct prophet. And and if I'm incorrect, forgive me. Uh, and those coals help to cleanse him of in, iniquity and infirmity so that he can speak before the the Holy One, lest be he. It seems that the physical um, uncircumcision of lips that uh, Moshe here is speaking of is a physical one. And so when he brings it up again as he's being told, no, now it's time to go to Pharaoh, what he is actually talking about is a physical impairment, which some people may say, thought in their mind is, you know, the act of stuttering, but it's much more of a act of humility um, or an, a deniability of what God is trying to enact in Moshe as his leader. And so the Lord's response is in verse 13, he speaks unto Moshe and unto Aaron, give and gave them this charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He, re, re, he keeps on, you give an excuse, you know, children of God, God is not going to change and waver. He's still going to repeat or echo what he said before. And it is the same instruction. Tell Pharaoh and tell the children of Israel to let my children out of the land of Egypt. And it says in verse 14 and it goes into from verse 14 onto uh, chapter 7, it seems that there is, right at that moment, we have a shift. He says, I'm of uncircumcised lips. Lord re-echoes, this is what you ought to do. And then it shifts to uh, his generational line. And I thought that was very interesting. So I'm going to read to you from the book um, that I mentioned before, Essential Torah. And it says... In one of the more peculiar narratives occurring in the Torah, the story stops abruptly for a genealogy of Moshe's family. Early in this Torah portion, we learn a couple of interesting facts about the family. The names of Moshe's parents, for example. In one of the more suggestive items to emerge here, we find out that Amram, Moshe's father, is also the nephew of Yochaved, Moshe's mother. As we will see later, in the Torah, this kind of marital relationship will be prohibited after Sinai. Why, one may ask, does the Torah make a point of telling us that the greatest prophet of the Jewish people is, in fact, the product of a forbidden relationship? Hisakuni writes, the knowing of this flaw in Moshe means that he would not lord it over other people, over the people. And the placement of his genealogy uh, um, occurs immediately after he tells God once again of his uncertainty of speech. The phrase used is aral sefatiyim, 
uncircumcised lips, suggesting a blockage of sorts echoed by the reference elsewhere in both the Torah and the prophetic writings to circumcising the hearts of the unfeeling B'nai Israel. Then after the genealogy, Moshe repeats this statement. Now that we now know pedigreed his line is, the repetition underlines his modesty, the trait for which he will be lauded at the end of the Torah. So there is purpose and reason in everything that we read in the, the Torah. So as we continue to um, journey, we see that he does fulfill what God has stated and he goes to speak to Pharaoh. Chapter 7, we see um, he goes in to meet with Pharaoh and of course Pharaoh seats, meets with him and they speak. And when they speak, he says exactly the words that the Lord has placed on his heart. And this is happening at a moment where it seems that Pharaoh is with the his Egyptian um, magicians, or he calls the Egyptian Egyptian magicians. Haha, <laughs> uh, say that twice very fast um, to hear what Moshe is saying. So when Moses and Aaron says to Pharaoh, "This is what the Lord requires that you would let my people go," then it is at that moment that Aaron does the first of the signs. Remember, there was three signs that we spoke of last week. And the first sign, as we know, is the sign of the staff or the rod being cast down and it turning into a serpent. Interestingly enough, I heard also from El Shaddai Ministries that that it was actually a crocodile. Interesting. I don't know if that to be true or not, but again, still very much an interesting fact. But the magicians also of Egypt um, seeing the manner of this secret art, they also duplicate the act that Aaron um, had done with the rod. However, when their serpents um, are thrown down, Aaron's rod swallows up their rods, and then it returns in Aaron's hand as a rod. So it's it, upon seeing this, the scripture says, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken. I think it was very interesting that going in to meet with the children of Israel, the Lord gave not only a word, but also he, he kind of foretold the response of the people. And even when the response was exactly as was foretold, it still had a way of, uh, I don't know if it's called shaking the confidence but it was very insightful in regards to the acts of where the people were at that time. And because of that, I'm going to turn to another portion from the Essential Torah that I read, I, I want to share with you. I thought it was very interesting because the, the next two portions, both this and the next week, are deeply connected with one another. And the reason that I think that the response that we see from Paro as well as from the children of Israel, B'nai Israel, um, even before and during the plagues that are being transpired, is still one of timidity. Because every time Paro, although it was foretold by God that he would still harden his heart, the people still utterly are um, in an act or within their own heart um, at a loss of words and at a loss of not necessarily hope, but 
they're uncertain. The unsurety of each step of this deliverance is something that they are relying on their leader. And their leader is relying on the Lord. And so there is a very um, logical but rather unsatisfying and probably unconvincing um, progression here um, as we continue to read this uh, Torah portion. It seems like a the current literature is like a domino effect um, and it is engendered by more recent ecological misbehavior of mankind. Indeed, to many, uh, many of the explanations that are given regarding the plagues are not um, one where we can fully understand or wrap our heads around. An example is um, very often in the scientific community, we tend to find people trying to understand the progression of the number of plagues. And we understand that during this Torah portion, there are seven um, exact plagues that take place. Um, of course, there's going to be a total of 10. And during the initial plagues, it seems that the scientific or academic world wants to scientifically prove why this um, happened in this order. So one, uh, one scientific and possibly one of the higher um, or well-known, um, they suggested that what happened is a progression of the Nile being overflowed, overflood with heavy rain. And as a result of this rain, it, it turns into uh, a progressive act that has been more or less moving from level to level. And every time he um, speaks to, Moshe speaks to Pharaoh, it is a next progression in the scientific um, explanation, but no one can understand the explanation as to how these things transpired only in Egypt, and no one can explain how in the land of Goshen, especially with the 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 progression of the the death of the cattle, how it did not affect Goshen, or even the tenth plague specifically, how that tenth plague only affected. Um, the, the Egyptian firstborn or the firstborn without the blood on the door, it seems that we've all co collectively begin to realize that what God stated in um, this Torah portion, that the reason that he is doing exactly this progression of, of address to Pharaoh is for the purpose of, and it's said in Hebrew signs and wonders, at uh, Umofet, Ult Umafet, signs and wonders. So the Ult signs were signs not only for the Egyptians, but they were signs to the children of Israel. And the wonders and the wonders that were uh, happening in each of these steps was sharing some knowledge to Pharaoh that the person that he esteemed himself to be was not the true king. That was not the true God. And in each step, which I thought was kind of hilarious during my own journey reading this, was why would the Egyptians and the Egyptian pharaoh more or less make more hard and more burdened the lives of his people at every stage? And the Lord actually answers that from the beginning because he says, he is utilizing Pharaoh, and I want to get the exact scripture so excuse me, so that we are on the same page. 
And we get to the questions. The question is, if these are signs, what do they signify? For whose amazement are the wonders intended? And of course, according to what I kind of shared before, they are for both parties. The signs are, and the wonders are for the Egyptians as much as they are for the Israelites. They are really, um, these Egyptians, these polytheists who deify the Nile, the sun and Pharaoh, um, God explicitly is saying that I will smite their gods. And God utilizes their gods to bring forth the plagues to show a sign to the Egyptians of who truthfully is God. The first uh, plague being the Nile turning to blood is one of which I thought was interesting when the Egyptians see it, the magicians duplicate it. To me, what I noticed was the, the words from the Torah that stated that the Egyptians themselves loathed the smell. So why would you add if your powers were so great? Second plague, after the Nile was turned to blood, uh, Moshe and Aaron come and they are told to send the plague of frogs. Again, the magicians also seeing what was done said, we will do likewise. So through their enchantments, they also bring up frogs on the land of Egypt. And to the utter dismay of the Egyptian community, uh, they were under strong distress. But neither the Egyptians nor the magician, I mean, excuse me, neither the Pharaoh nor the magicians would accept the honor that was due to God, who was bringing about the their deities causing their uh, express um, burden. So the exact words that I found to be extreme, extremely interesting about the actions of Pharaoh is that when the frogs were seemingly bothering the people of Israel and it, for the most part, had not in, um, in any way glorified or shown or proven to him that he and his God nature, that's what he believes, um, was in any ways to be bothered with such uh, things, he, uh, he did not come to Moshe and Pharaoh, I mean, Moshe and Aaron, excuse me, and it was the Lord limiting the, the frog plague that allowed the Egyptians and the Egyptian houses to receive a reprieve. It is interesting to me that as a leader, he did not seek relief, Pharaoh did not, for his own people, but he hardened his heart even more the, the same. So the third plague where there is lice and um, Aaron stretches out the rod and he strikes the dust of the land and from it comes lice and this lice fills the land of, G of Egypt. The, the magicians at this time uh, try to work the enchantments to bring out lice as well. I guess it's, if you can do it, I can do it better, they thought. I don't know. But as they tried, their uh, enchantments could not manifest this same, this same sign of lice. And it says that in this, the magicians themselves stated, this is the finger of God. But 
even hearing this from his magicians, Pharaoh's heart grew even harder. And he did not heed, not even them, just as the Lord said he would. So on the fourth plague, the plague of flies, the Lord said to Moses, rise in the early morning, stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. And this is what you should do. He says, I will send swarms of flies on you, on your servants, on your people and into your house. I thought that this was interesting. That fourth plague where the Lord declares that even these flies are going to come into your house was interesting because this is the first time that Pharaoh comes to Moses and Aaron versus Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh. And it seems to me not only is he a selfish king because he could care less as to what his people are asking for, he is only consumed with the thoughts and the utter, you could say, uh, belief systems that are in his own mind that he allows, first of all, the first three to completely bother and harass the um, people that he is to rule over and lead. But it is only until it bothers him with the fourth plague of flies that he is now burdened. And he's like, okay, 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 let's, bar- let's, let's, bar- let's bargain. Let's, let's start a bargaining. Um, yeah, go sacrifice, go to your, your God in your land. Um, but, it of course, is a but. And this is what was completely not in line with what God had declared. So Pharaoh said, I will only let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away and you may intercede for me. And Moses said, indeed, I'll go out and I will entreat the Lord and that the swarm of flies may depart. So when the swarm of flies had departed, Moses went before Pharaoh again. And guess what Pharaoh did? Pharaoh hardened his heart again against letting the people go. So the fifth and sixth and the seventh plague are likened unto this as well. On the fifth plague where the livestock um, died from a disease, it says specifically that Pharaoh went and checked the livestock of the Israelites and not even one of their livestock had died. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. Very interesting because, again, this is impacting his people. But when he sees that, wait a second, our livestock died and they're not theirs, he was like, even still, I will not let them go. The sixth plague with this plague of boils. The boils now become sores from the very, came from the dust of in the land of Egypt and it becomes boils that broke out on all men, even the beasts of the field. And when this happened, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of these boils and for the boils on all the magicians. And yet the Lord still hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Obviously, this had also impacted his household and himself, but still, even still, I stand and stand hardened against it. The seventh plague, the plague of hail. In the hail plague, we find that now they're on the verge, the Egyptians are on the verge of starvation. And the reason is when the hail came, the hail did not just come like ice out of the sky. The scripture specifically stated that that when Moshe stretched out, when the Lord stretches out Moshe's hand and he, um, and excuse me, let me read the exact scripture. This is uh, Exodus chapter nine. It says in verse number 16. Now, if I had stretched, now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. And this is in regards to Pharaoh. 
the reason this pharaoh, this pharaoh, this king has risen is for this set purpose. And that my name may be declared in all the earth as, you, as yet you exalt yourself against my people, Israel, of course, in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow at this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been seen in Egypt since its founding. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock. I thought it was great that God gave a warning. But no, he did, you know, if you're not heeding to the word that says, do, let, you know, this is the word of the Lord, let my people go. Obviously, when you get the warning, you're still not going to harden your heart even more. It's the same. But those who heard and did not harden their hearts and feared the word of the, of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, they did as the warning stated. The word, the word that was sent was, gather your livestock, get them out of the fields. Because tomorrow hail's coming down and every man animal um, found in the field that will not be brought home, they will die. And it seems that when the hail came down, I thought this was interesting because it, it was likened onto what we see in our prior Torah portions in regards to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was not just hail, it came down with fire. So the hail in, that came on the land of Egypt upon man, on beasts, and on every herb, herb in the field and throughout the whole entire land, throughout the land of Egypt, um, was so burdensome that that hail came out with fire to the ground, destroyed their crops, um, and it killed men and beasts that were in the field. And the, and not, and the, hail, the hail also destroy, destroyed their first um, main crop. And it seems that when Pharaoh um, sees this, again, this is another way I, I tend to, I sense that, He's doing this out of selfishness and self-reasons. He beckons, he calls for Moses and Aaron. And the word that he states in this plague, this um, the seventh plague, the plague of hail, I want you to hear what he is saying because this is where our Torah portion ends. And I want you to understand what he's recognizing even out of his words. The Bible says, out of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so out of his words in this seventh plague, he's recognizing something. But I, let's go back to what he's recognizing first. The scripture states, he sent for Moses and Aaron and he says, I have sinned. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there be no more mighty thundering and hail for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. I'm going to stick a pin right there. The Lord knows who Pharaoh is. He just stated, I created him for this season. And in one aspect, one person might state that when reading this, this hardening of Pharaoh's heart, that the Lord, how can Pharaoh have even repented? It is not that the Lord is literally making him impossible to repent, when in this word called hardening, but he's he's strengthening his resolve. He's think about when you've run a race and you need to be revived. The Lord revives him. He doesn't choose for him. And so the the case here is that Pharaoh seeing, and now believing that he is not the greater, has declared it here in the seventh um, plague. He has stated, again, I've recognized my error. We, I've recognized the error of my people. And truthfully, yes, the Lord is righteous. 
But even as he says this to Moses, and I'm certain that Moses at this point is amazed by the declaration of Pharaoh, he still responds to him as the Lord has already revealed. As soon as I've gone out of this city and spread out my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail. And you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not hear the Lord God. So even in this declaration, we recognize that Pharaoh is being duplicit as he's giving one face to Moses, saying the right words to obtain what he desires. But in his chart of hearts, he does not truly believe. But if in the heart, his resolve is going to be stretched to its breaking point. And at this point, we're going to stop. We're going to come to a pause here. And we're going to just prepare for the the next few plagues. What I thought was very interesting about this week, um, besides the fact that these plagues are uh, some of them are very repetitive. You see them again in Revelations. I would love for you guys to go to Revelations chapter 8, 6 through 9, and Revelations chapter 16, 1 through 21. In the, um, in the, in Revelations, we see that there are um, repetitions of some of these plagues happening. Uh, I want to exactly give you the reading so that you can refer to it. Actually, I gave you the reading. Go please take some time and read. And when you start to recognize what God is doing consistently is maintaining the pattern to redemption. Just like this was happening as a sign, an oath to the Egyptians, it was happening also to the children of Israel. And I'm going to read again from the Essential Torah. Who is this God of Hebrews? That's the question that Pharaoh questioned position to Moshe and Aaron when they first came. Who is this God that I should, you know, let your people go? And it says that when the plagues literally have almost utterly vanquished uh, the, the Egyptians, and it seems that all the events that have questioned their belief systems, still Pharaoh is still asking this question of who is this God? We recognize in the way that he is positioning it that he wants to possibly manipulate um, as he manipulates the gods of his kingdom. He wants to manipulate the true king of kings and lord of lords. Because even though he is saying the right words, the right intention is far from him. And we continue to see that, remember, if we recall that the introduction to this Pharaoh was, this is the Pharaoh that knew not Yosef. And really, if you will, at the outset of Shemot, we, we recognize this current ruler of Egypt is a, a king who does not recognize what Yosef or the children of Israel has done for Egypt. He is not one in which we find uh, honor um, because if there was honor, he would have recognized that even his forebears would not have been allowed to have given him birth had not the, the rule and the might of the God of Yosef and the wisdom of Yosef have been outpoured to the Egyptians. But it, it's even more interesting that throughout the plagues, a, a continuous comparison to what happened in our prior portions in Bereshit chapter 41, where Yosef is talking to the Pharaoh of that time, 
Yosef specifically instructed the Yosef of that time to, and the words are pile up, pile up or stack store. This is how we use it, store the grain. And in, so this week we see a piling up of a different sort, the piling up of the frogs and the destruction, actually the opposite, not of, you know, retaining the grain as it was in the time of Yosef, but the destruction of the grain in the time of this Pharaoh. These are all alluding to the fact that the Lord is teaching and also utilizing Pharaoh and his hardening of heart to reflect as to who the God of the children of Israel is. So the answer to the question is, who is this God of the children of Israel? And why should he respect what he has to say? And throughout the plagues, we find that Moshe is sharing, sharing to, uh, to Pharaoh um, symbolic, not only opportunities, but symbolic words that specifically echo Yosef. So in uh, Genesis chapter 41, 32, Yosef describes the famine as heavy, kavod, kavod, a word that is also used to describe the cattle disease um, and the hailstorm. Interesting. In Shemot 8, um, or Exodus chapter 8, verses 22, Moshe says to Pharaoh, lo nakhon, it's not right. Echoing Yosef to Pharaoh. And so we see that Moshe is constantly utilizing by way of the word given to him echoes to who the children of Israel are and who the God of, uh, of the of children of Israel are in the land of Egypt and throughout the world. In Shemot 8.22, Exodus 8.22, again we hear the echoing of Yosef, Bereshit chapter 43.32 of Genesis, um, in the book of Genesis, guys, in English. And we realize that Moshe is really trying to warn Pharaoh not to continue to, to toy with the Israelites for the word that continues to come, um, come from each of these declarations of plagues towards him is a continued reference to who the Yosef was and continues to be in the land of Egypt. An interesting uh, note that I found in the in the book that I have shared before is the word Yosep. Yosep. Remember that in Hebrew, the alphabet, the letters um, F and P are interchangeable, especially in the Torah text, which it has no markings to distinguish between them. Even if this Pharaoh continues, which is Yosep, to forget Yosef, after he reluctantly liberates the Israelites, there is no question that this is a payback for one of the original B'nai Israel. So, yes, this, this Pharaoh is going to been, has been raised up for this season. And as we continue to read throughout this Torah portion, some of the things that I thought to myself and I think about not only um, the pattern of our salvation and the patterns of our deliverance, I liken it to the time and the season that we are in even now. The gods of this world are being transformed 
into the plagues that will plague the enemy. The gods of this world that we've, uh, as a people, have seen great honor and glory go to will become the plagues that will destroy them. And the gods of this world, again, become signs and a wonder even to the children of Israel. Because as the children of Israel initially heard the word from Moshe that this is the Lord's doing and this is what he is going to accomplish, in their brokenness of the spirit, they could not hearken because of the harshness of their reality. However, these signs and wonders were a testament to the strength and the complete devotion of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. Because as he promised, and as was alluded to by the promise uh, required of Yosef to the children of Israel, that when the Lord, would, when it comes time that the Lord has hearkened unto his word to perform it, to take my body. So it seems that the children of Israel, although they agreed, they may have forgotten under the weight of their reality. And so my desire in bringing this up is that we remember who God truly is, even in light of the weight of the reality that COVID has you know, caused in our society, that COVID has disrupted in our communities, that um, whether it's pestilence or it is any other um, plague, help us to realize that these plagues and signs and wonders are to be instruction to us as to this is who our God and King truthfully is. And this is how he desires for us to live. Because the separation in Goshen only lasted for nine plagues. Had not the children of Israel found faith, they would not have hearkened to the word of Moshe on the 10th. And their lot would have been like the lot of Egypt. And so God is allowing the signs and the wonders of this time and this age to bring us into awareness of a reality of who he is and who he has and will continue to be. He is the I am that I am. He will continue to be to us what we need and even more than that, what we desire. And so I pray that in your studies, that you will be strengthened, that you will be fortified, that you will not turn to the left nor to the right, but you will stand boldly and, and, and wholeheartedly in the palm of your Savior, in the hand of the Mighty One of Israel. Blessed be He, because He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. May we walk with humility as we honor Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Um, as it is our custom, we will close um, every study with the Etz Kaim or the prayer to return. In English, it is stated like this. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. 
for your listening pleasure. I have attached the Etzchayim. It is our hope that you will join us as well. Feel free to comment, like, or share with your friends and family. Shalom.